0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. As they're heading out, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 18 and we can go fix this out. Uh... We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Part of a series, uh, a group effort, i called this series. This actually introduces Jethro, and uh, the the, the group part of it really comes next week. Uh, So this one doesn't really relate as much to last week and next week about uh, kind of our doing ministry together. Um, But this section introduces Jethro, reintroduces Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. Um, So let's read together uh, Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershon, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and in the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Um, This story really is about how uh, Moses witnesses and proclaims God's work to his father-in-law, Jethro. And uh, just to be clear, Jethro is a priest of Midian. Up to this point, Jethro is not a follower of the true and living God. And you may read stories, you may think things, whatever, uh, and actually I've read commentaries that... um, want to cast Jethro as some kind of a follower of God. Okay, spread up front. Jethro was an idol worshiper. Okay, Uh, But through his encounter and through what he sees through the witness of Moses and through really the story of God's deliverance of Israel, uh, we see in this passage that Jethro comes to believe in Yahweh as the one and only God. And we'll see that as we unpack this story. So I've I've titled this message, uh, The Power of Our Story. Uh, And it really does have great application to us as we uh, are called to be witnesses, as we're called to share the story of what God has done in our life. And you may feel that, uh, as I do oftentimes, that, you know, we're called to be telling or to be witnesses or to be telling others the good news about Jesus. But maybe you feel like I do often that, you know, is it really possible for us to convince anybody uh, that God is real? And in our modern age, especially in kind of the Western cultures, there's a definite move um, away from God and a resistance that the Bible could be true. Uh, Specifically, a lot of people don't like what we call the exclusivity. Can't even say that word. Big word. It just means that you know we teach that there's only one way, right? We don't teach there's many paths to God. We teach there's one path through Jesus alone. And that's not real popular, right? People don't like to hear that. They want to hear, um, well, you know, all the paths ultimately lead to God. And we're going to talk about uh, why I wish that could be true, but why it's probably not, uh, according to Scripture. And why this doesn't even make sense, actually, when you look at it. So, um, so we may feel like it's kind of a hopeless cause, and for that reason we may be reluctant to really share our story. Uh, but uh, Moses encourages us here that... Uh, he kind of takes on the, his father-in-law, because that's a whole layer of issues right there in itself, right? It's his father-in-law. Um, but he's faithful to share his story of what God's done in his life. And, uh, and it, it's, a, it's a visible witness for Jethro to see. And through that, it does have impact. And your story, my story, what God is doing in our life uh, can have impact in the lives of the people around us who are watching and who hear our story. So Let's look at how Moses can help us think about how we share, what it's about for us to share our story about what God's done in us. A little bit of the context here. Apparently, uh, and the Bible doesn't explain all these details because they're not always important, but apparently Moses went to Egypt by himself. And if you remember way back to the beginning of the story, Moses had fled from Egypt, was wanted for murder, uh, had a death sentence on his head, and so he flees out through the desert, and he ends up in Midian, where he meets Jethro, uh, uh, kind of joins his family. Jethro gives his daughter Zipporah to, uh, to Moses as his wife. Um, and uh, apparently, when Moses went back to Egypt to, to rescue Israel... Zipporah and his two sons did not go with him, or if they went part way, they at some point returned. They went back to uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, to Zipporah's dad. Um, perhaps Moses thought it was going to be dangerous, or uh, t- uh, we don't know. But, uh, but the, the setting here is that Jethro, it says in verse 18, the priest of Midian heard of all that God had done for Moses and the Israelites, and how the Lord had brought them out, and so. Um, you know, he's been glued to the TV every day watching the news. Well, not actually, because of course they didn't have TVs back then. But uh, it's interesting that people have always been interested in the news and in world events. And even though they didn't have televisions and radio, they, they hard to believe but they couldn't look this up on YouTube videos or Facebook. Um, but news traveled. And uh, people were interested in world events even back then. And so caravans or... Uh, messenger couriers, travelers would bring news from around the world and they would have uh, at, usually at markets places where this news would get disseminated and spread. And so Jethro is all ears and he's very fascinated to hear what's going on because the last time he saw Moses, Moses had told him, I was on this mountain and God showed up and told me I'm supposed to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And I'm sure Jethro is thinking Moses you know, I like you, you're my son-in-law, I think you've been out in the desert way too long. And something's flipped, because you're, you're a shepherd, uh, you're a nobody, and you're going to go tell Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, to just let the Israelites go. I'm praying for you, buddy, but I'm not real optimistic, right? So Jethro's probably, he wants to hear news, and as he hears news that this happened, Right? The Israelites have been set free from Egypt. He's probably very fascinated. And so he's hearing news as they're traveling across the Sinai desert towards Midian. Uh, and um, God had actually made a promise to, to Moses along the when, when he was on the mountain the first time. He said, you will come back and you will bring, this is going to be a sign that I'm with you. Because you're going to bring the people back to this very spot. And. Uh, as free people who have been set free from, uh, from Egypt. And, and so uh, Jethro knows that that's the plan, that Moses is going to travel back. And so as he's getting closer and he arrives back at that very spot, the mountain of God, where God first appeared to Moses, um, Jethro knows where that is, and so he sets off to return uh, to meet Moses and to return uh, Moses' wife and sons to him. And they're united at the mountain of God. And it says that when they met, uh, you know, they go out, they meet, they kind of have the formal customs of uh, greeting, kisses his father, he misses his father in law, uh, invites him into his tent. And it says in verse 8 that then Moses told his father in law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the sake of Israel, all the hardships that had come, and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses tells Jethro. All this happened, right? All about the plagues, all about the uh, his, uh, Egypt's army, his chariots chasing them across the desert, meeting at the Red Sea, and how God, uh, you know, wiped out the army of Egypt at the Red Sea. Uh, how they didn't have water in the desert, how they didn't have food in the desert, and how God took care of them step by step along the way. Um, and through this, it says that. When, when, when Jethro hears all this, it says he rejoiced for all, rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done. So, and, and we'll see in a minute more how, how, um, how Jethro comes to, to believe in, in Yahweh, the God of Moses, as the true and living God. But what I want to look at is uh, really four things about Moses' story that I think impacted Jethro. If we could just break this down real quickly and look at four key things that Moses shared or that Jethro understood about the story that enabled this story to have impact. And I think as we share our story, we, we want to make sure we talk about the same four things or uh, show, demonstrate in our life the same four things. So let's look at these real briefly. And go through these. First of all, uh, Moses starts with where he came from. Now, he didn't actually tell this part of the story because he didn't need to. Jethro had actually witnessed this part of the story, right? Um, And and the reason we know that Moses goes back there is in verse 2, it has a very interesting detail that seems kind of out of place here. It says uh, Jethro uh, uh, returned um, with, with Zipporah and her two sons. And Moses says in verse three that the name of the one son was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Um, Moses does not waste a lot of time on meaningless details. For example, we don't know how Zipporah and his sons ended up living in Midian with his father-in-law while Moses is in Egypt. Moses doesn't feel that that's a significant or worthy detail. But here he names his sons, Not only does he name his sons, which, proud dad, likes his sons, right? But he, he takes the effort to explain specifically the meaning of their names. Uh, and that was important in, in Hebrew culture, but it's important this, in this passage because it takes us all the way back to the... Moses' beginning, all the way back to the first couple chapters of Exodus, where we, f- we remember that Moses uh, thought he was going to save his Israelite brothers, went out and killed an Egyptian slave driver. Pharaoh found out about it and, wanted, and, and placed a death sentence on his head for murder. And so Moses flees as a fugitive across the wilderness and ends up in Midian. And he names his first son, Gershom, because I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. He reminds us where he came from. Uh, But in the midst of all that, uh, he meets Midian, Midian takes care of him, he becomes a shepherd, he's got a job, got a safe place, God takes care of him, gives him a wife and a family. And so his second son he names Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me. Um, I think Moses once us and, and, and Jethro to remember where he came from. Uh, Moses is leading this nation, right? He's now, he's a big dude. I mean, he's he's leading a, a nation of people. But he says, I'm not doing this because I was equipped and trained for this. He says, I was a murderer. I was a, I was a fugitive running from the law. I ended up trekking across this desert once before because I was, I was lost, right? And even in that, God took care of me. Um, Jethro took him in. He became uh, a part of his family. And Jethro teaches him the the craft of being a shepherd. Now, it's a a good profession. In those days, it was a great, significant way to make a living. Um, But if you're going to be a world leader, you probably don't put this on your job description, right? Somebody campaigning to be president or prime minister. Hey, and I want you all to know I'm qualified for this because I was a shepherd back in the day. <laughs> no, nah, probably not. Now you could reword it. Maybe, maybe Moses could reword it on his resume, something like this. In charge of directing a large workforce of several hundred employees in the production of wool. <laughs> shepherd. Uh, I'll explain. Those of you who didn't miss that one, I'll explain later. Um in other words, Moses is saying, you know, I didn't start out as anybody. Right? I'm not doing this. I, I didn't get to this place of leading the Israelites out through the desert, through the Red Sea, because I'm a great leader, because I'm charming or skillful or wise or intelligent. Right? No, I started off as a fugitive and a shepherd. Right? That's my, that's my skill set. But God. Use me in, in spite of my limitations. It's really important for us to, to share where we came from. Right? Uh, and, and it's not really something we have to share uh, with people we've known. We don't have to tell them this part of their story. Moses didn't have to explain this to Jethro. Jethro knew. Right? He knew. He'd been with Moses in those days. And he knew what the younger, struggling Moses looked like. And I think one of the reasons our story is very powerful and effective when we have long-term relationships with people is because they see where we've been and where God has brought us. Uh, we may feel that our family or our longtime time friends uh, are the hardest people to share Christ with, but in many ways it's the easiest because they know the whole story. Right? We don't have to explain to them what we used to be like. They know our flaws and our failures. Um, That's the first thing, where we came from. Second thing, uh, of course, we share where we are now. Uh, Again, Exodus 3.12 says, uh, God promised Moses way back, first time on the mountain, He says, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Jethro saw this lonely, pathetic Moses going off crazy on this mission to save Israel, thinking, Lord help that poor, foolish boy who has no clue what he's getting into. But then all of a sudden, Moses comes back, leading an entire nation to this very mountain. Now that has to be an impressive thing, right? Um, I'm sure Jethro is just seeing this whole massive crew of people, which by the way, there's there's some controversy on how many people... Some would say maybe 50 or 60,000. Some say 600,000. We don't really know. There's, there's some language problems there. But the point is, this wasn't just 15 people. This is a huge group of people who clearly had been set free from slavery in Egypt, the most powerful country in the world, from the most powerful man in the world. And so he sees this uh, living proof of what God has done. Um... And again, this is not something that Moses actually has to share. Uh, Jethro has heard the testimonies, he's heard the news, he's seeing it right in front of him. Yeah, this happened. Somehow, God rescued Israel uh, and brought about their deliverance from from Egypt. Um, One of the most important and powerful parts of our witness is what God has wrought in us that we're Different people now. Uh, if you're not different, if you're not different, um, that's, that's another question, that's another problem. But you should be different now than what you were before you met Christ, before God saved you. His His saving work is life-transforming. Uh, now, for some of us, that that transformation is more dramatic than for others. Uh, one of the guys that we work with in Esan, a Thai Thai believer. Um, he, he had, before he came to Christ, his reputation in his village was as the meanest, most horrible guy in their whole village. Uh, nobody liked this guy, including his wife. I mean, everybody just hated him. And he was mean, and he was bitter, and uh, he, he he drank too much, and uh, nobody liked him. And he came to Christ through his sister who had become a believer, and she'd share Christ with him, and he came to Christ, and he was... Quite instantly and dramatically changed. Became just a different guy. His whole countenance, his whole look about him, just was different. And he would smile, and he seemed to be happy. And uh, the change was so dramatic that uh, the friends of this lady would come to him, come to her all the time, and asking, "What drug are you putting in his drink?" <laughs> you know, the only explanation for why this guy could be so changed and so happy is she must be. They were convinced she was drugging him. And they wanted wanted some of that drug for their husband. (laughs) Um, Well, it was the drug of Jesus, right? It was the drug of a life at peace because God settled the sin in his heart and the brokenness in his life. Um, It's a powerful witness, right? It's a powerful testimony. Now, uh, maybe you had that reputation before you came to Christ. Maybe you were that person who was the meanest, most horrible, bitter, angry person. Uh, but for many of you, you grew up in a Christian home where you were raised very different and you were raised with kind of morals and values. And, and honestly, you weren't that terrible, at least by the world standards. As people looked at you, you weren't a drug dealer, didn't murder all that many people, <laughs> weren't going to jail. Um, you're basically a decent person, right? And so you think, well... You know, when people give up and share their testimonies about how they were in drugs and in jail and in gangs. And, you know, my, my testimony was I went to Sunday school and I went to church. I was a pretty good kid. Um, I don't have that dramatic conversion. What do you say? Well, the reality is that while outwardly you can look good and maybe a civilized, respectable human being, The truth is that we all know that before we met Jesus, inwardly, we were different. Inwardly, we were uh, perhaps uh, self-righteous. And because of that, we were proud and felt we were better than others and superior to others. And we would look down on sinners. We would look down on bad people. uh, Maybe we were prejudiced because of that. We all know that before we came to Christ, we were inwardly selfish and self-centered. I know that because I still am often selfish and self-centered. And God's still changing that part of my life, right? Um, Maybe we were critical and judgmental or bitter. And even though we were doing good things, our emotions were often controlled by critical, bitter words. Um, We all know that before we came to Christ, we were pretending that our goodness was a mask. We were putting on an image. We were trying to be something that people would approve, but we know deep down inside it was fake. That it wasn't who we really were. Uh, We were building. Many of us were building our self worth based on performance, on being good, on being respectable, on being the kind of people that, uh, the kind of person that others would respect. Uh, But we know it was not real. Right? We know it was fake. That we were not really like that inside. And here's, here's the thing. The people who really knew you then also knew. Right? You really weren't fooling that many people. Probably only yourself. Uh, they knew your selfishness and your pride and your critical spirit. Um, and so when God comes in, those are the things that he must also be changing. Not just our outward behavior, but our inward character. We should be being changed into people who are selfless, serving, giving, humble, uh, forgiving, full of grace. Those are the things that should be characterizing our life. The fruit of the Spirit. That we should be gentle, kind, compassionate. Um, The kind of person who, when they get beat up, turns the other cheek. Whatever that looks like in our world. That we don't retaliate. Those are the things that should be different about us that people see in our life. And it's, an, it's a powerful part of our story. Uh, and again, not a part we need to talk about. We don't need to say, hey, look at how humble I am. How awesome? Right? No, we don't have to advertise it. They'll see it if it's real. They'll know if it's real. Third thing that Moses does. Now, he hasn't talked much. He didn't need to explain where he came from. He didn't really need to explain where he's at now. But it says when when his, father-in-law comes into his tent and they sit down and they pour their cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is. It says Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the sake of Israel. Okay, Now's is when the speaking witness kicks in. Uh, now is when, when Moses gets to tell the part of the story he can tell. And that is, um, you, know, you know where we started, you know where we are, but let me tell you how we got here. We got here, not because I was so clever, because I was so convincing when I talked to Pharaoh, because I was able to outwit and outsmart him, and I tricked him into letting us go. No. God did it. All right, let me tell you what God did to bring about all of this. I was just standing there, holding this stick, and God did the rest. Um... This is the part of our witness that's most critical and important. Because they need to understand and know that whatever changes they see in our life, whatever miracles they've seen in us as we've been transformed or as God's worked in our life, that we are clear to give God credit for all of it. That it is what God has done. And for us who are believers in Christ, who live after the time of Jesus, for us it means proclaiming that It's the power of the cross, the power of what Jesus did in dying for my sins that has transformed me. That when I came to experience the forgiveness that He gave, that I didn't have to deal with my own sin. I didn't have to fix my own problems. That Jesus' power through the cross has done that in me. That when I put my faith in Him, He forgave my sin and He's changed my life in ways that I can't even explain. That's what we need to be telling people. That the Way to have your life changed is through the grace and kindness of God, who who pours out His love for us through what He did uh, on the cross. So we share that. We explain how Jesus has changed us. And lastly, um, uh, we share the good and the bad. Okay, we share the good and the bad. Notice what it says. It says it's, it says that Moses shared three things with. Jethro. First of all, he shared all the, all that the Lord had done to, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. Secondly, he shared all the hardship that, could, that had come upon them in the way. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way. In other words, after God saved us, after God rescued us from Egypt, after he set us free from Pharaoh, life was not a piece of cake. Right? After God saved us, actually things got worse, right? We were free, but we were starving to death. We were free, but we were about to be run over by the chariots of Egypt. We were free, but we had nothing to eat. And he shared the hardships. But also then it says he shared how God uh, delivered them um, through all those difficulties. How God had met them each step of the way. Um, God has shown His faithfulness not only in rescuing them from Israel uh, from Egypt, but by helping them with every obstacle that they met. Um, I think one of the most powerful parts of our testimony, it's also hard to share. One of the most powerful parts of our testimony is sharing not just how God saved us and what we were like before, but the struggles we're going through now. The hardships and difficulties we're going through now. A lot of times we don't want to share this because we think, well, if I tell people, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and he saved me, and then life just kind of sucked after that. They're not going to want to follow Jesus. But if you don't tell them that, you're lying. Because nowhere does the Bible promise that if we give our, follow Jesus and trust him, that he's going to fix everything and life's just going to be easy. That doesn't work, it just doesn't work that way for most people. God transforms and he brings peace and he he sets us free from sin, but he does not remove all the difficulties and problems out of our life. He does not make life easy, necessarily. In some ways it may be easier, but in some ways it actually may be harder. Because we may find that our friends don't don't get us anymore. In fact, our friends may be uh, quite angry that we don't go hang out and party with them like we used to. Because now we're following Jesus. Uh, we may lose friends. We may lose jobs. right? Because following Jesus may cause us to make sacrifices of the lifestyle that we lived before. Or the, um, you know, the, the things that we did. right? Sometimes things can get more difficult. Um, but the cool thing of, of the story is not that we had hard times. But that through every one of those hard times... God is there, right? God does not give up on us. God meets us and and, and takes care of us step by step as he did for Israel. Every difficulty that they met, God met them and provided. God showed himself faithful. Um, There's great power in sharing honestly uh, the struggles and the hardships we go through. Um, It's not always easy. And sometimes it's hard to be honest, to say, you know, Uh, part of the reason I still have problems is because sometimes I'm still a jerk (laughs) God's transformed me but actually there's still a long ways to go and sometimes I say really stupid things right? and I I hurt people and I cause cause my own problems but you know what God doesn't give up on me God walks with me even when I mess up even when I fail him even when I do things that I, I, I am deeply regretful of. Right? There's great power in that. And the reality is that people who, especially if we've been a Christian for a long time, there probably aren't very many people. I'm old enough. All the people who knew me from way back in the day have all died. Not true. <laughs> Not that old. Um, but, you know, they, most people don't, don't know where I come from. But the people I'm in relationship with now can see the struggles that I'm in every day. So that's an important and powerful part of our witness, is how God's meeting us and transforming us and 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 taking care of us with the struggles we're in today. Um, so, what is the impact of his story? Right. Uh, let me just highlight a couple of things that uh, as Jethro responds to this story, uh, the story made a huge impact on his life, and that's what we pray that as we share our stories, people see us as they watch us as as they hear our testimony, that it would impact them for the sake of their, their relationship and their faith in God. Um, our story can make a difference in people's lives, and God can use it, and he will. Um, so here's what happened in, in, in Jethro's life. First of all, it says he rejoiced. Uh, this is a good sign. If people hear your story, and they actually are excited and delighted to hear about how God has saved you, that's opening a door. Now some people are not going to be, they're going to hear it and they're going, to, they're going to blow it off, brush it off, right? But some people are going to, they're going to find joy in it. That God has the power to do that kind of stuff. Because it gives them hope that God can do it in their life as well. So it says, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done. And how he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Second thing that happened in his life is he came to know that there is only one God and only one way. And this is a huge thing for a guy who was a priest of Midian. Huge thing. Uh, How do we know that he came to that conclusion? Well, it says it in verse 11. He says, Now I know that Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Moses, is greater than all the other gods. Now, uh, he he was a guy who who worshipped these idols, these these many gods, and they believed that these gods were connected to the forces of nature. So there would be a god over the rain, and a god over the floods, and a god over uh, whatever, the sun, seasons. Uh, And he would try to appeal to these gods to give them good luck and favor so that the rains would come or the harvest would be good. But he says, now I see that those gods are nothing They have no power compared to the true God of Israel who is greater than them all. Um, And by saying that, he's he's acknowledging that there's only one path, right? That, That he can't continue being a priest of Midian and worship the one true God, right? He doesn't say, well, I'm glad to know that, you know, the path I'm on leads to the same God. He doesn't say this. He says, no, there's one true God. He's mighty. He's unique. He's different than these gods that I'm worship worshiping. There's only one God and there's only one way. As I said earlier, this message of exclusive ex, exclusivity. One way. That is the message. That's what the word means. This message, this idea that there's only one way to God, bothers a lot of people. And and I wish, you know, I wish. People could come and find the true and living God through any myriad of religions. But here's why it can't work. Okay, imagine this: imagine a girl meets a boy. It's not hard to imagine, right? A girl meets a boy, and they fall in love. Right? And uh, the boy tells the girl, "You are the only one. I love you, and I love I, which means I love you to the exclusion of all others. Right? I'm not gonna." love other girls i'm going to love you cuz you are you're the one the girl feels pretty special and wonderful and she decides that if, if he loves me like that i'm going to be devoted to this guy right so they date for many months but then after many months the girl finds out that the guy's been collecting photos of all kinds of beautiful other girls he's got them on his phone he's got them hung up all over his house how does this girl feel most girls I know would be furious, right? Furious. How could, you, how could you have so many pictures of all these other girls? I thought I was the only one. And he says to her, well, you are the only one, but there's many paths, right? There's many paths. You're a girl, there are girls, they are just a path to you. Is she going to buy that? Guys, you try that and you tell me how it works, okay? You just try that one and tell me. Because what she's going to say is, yeah, there are other girls, but they're not me. They're not me. Okay? I am this person. Right? If you want to love me, this is who I am. And you see, when we say that there's many paths to God, what we're saying is that any picture of God, any image of God, any description of God, will get you there. But God would say, no, that's not me. Right? That's a picture of something very different than who I am. You see, the God of the Bible is a God who's revealed himself, who has a unique character. He's a certain kind of being. And he's described in detail what he is like. And when you compare him with the gods of other religions, they're not the same. It's a different picture. It's a different kind of God. And uh, Moses' story makes that clear. That the God he worships, the God who saved them, is a very different kind of God and the gods of Egypt, or the gods of Midian. The next thing that happens for for Jethro is he, I I believe he finds true forgiveness. Uh, It says in verse 12, Jethro brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Um, A burnt offering was a very specific kind of sacrifice that was done to to deal with your sin. Uh, Jethro knew that he, he was a sinner. He probably came to the realization that he had been falsely, falsely, wrongly worshipping false gods. He knew that he had, in ways in his life, dishonored Yahweh as the true and living God. And so he knows he needs to deal with the sin. And back then, the way you did that is you you had a barbecue. (laughs) You burned something. You killed an animal and you sacrificed it. And they saw that as covering sin. Of course, we don't do that anymore. Praise God! At church, we don't have to all bring our goat, and I don't have to, you know, kill it. And we, you know, Jesus has done that for us, right? Jesus is our sacrifice. He laid down his life. He died to to pay the price for our sin, so that by his blood we have forgiveness. And so Jethro came to experience that we, as believers, can even more confidently ex- experience forgiveness for our sin. Uh, Last thing we see in Jethro's life is he became a true worshiper of God. Verse 10, it says, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord. This is not language we use every day. Uh, After after uh, we get out with worship, I'm not going to go up and say, Blessed be your name. (laughs) That's just weird, Right. Um, not language we use, but, but this is what it means. It means to sp- speak about somebody or something with words of excellence, right? To, um, to say really good things about it. So that Josh saying, uh, Jethro is saying, I've got really good things to say about Jehovah God, the God of Moses. I want to describe and explain how awesome and wonderful he is.
1: Um, And the reality is that any
0: time we encounter God, if it's real, we cannot help but worship him. Our natural response is to say, wow, God is amazing. So, summarize real quickly, our part is to bear witness to what God has done both in history and in our life. And one of the remarkable things about the story of Jethro is that he comes to faith in God even though he didn't actually personally experience any of it. All he heard is a story about what God did for somebody else. And it changed his life. What's ironic is that the Israelites who actually experienced it mostly were not believing God. But Jethro was. There's power in your story. Right? Even if they didn't experience it, God can use what he's done in your life and in the lives of others, the lives of people in the Bible to help them see and understand the glory and wonder of God. Uh, our job is to, is to live out that story, to proclaim it. It's up to God and the individual what they do with it, right? If they don't believe it, they don't follow it, that's, it's not our job, right? We can't make people believe. But what we can do is be faithful